0: Welcome back to another episode of Startup Therapy. I'm Will Schroeder, founder and CEO of Startups.com, along with my co-host, Elliot Schneer, the COO of Startups.com. Today, we're going to talk about the benefit of a hard reset for our startup. Now, it's been an insane year as we record this, and a lot of startups have been hit really hard, although really as startups go you know many of us have had to deal with hits like this even before 2020 we're talking about layoffs cutting costs pretty much everywhere and in some cases really having to shut down almost entirely when it happens it sucks there's nothing cool about it so i don't want to sugarcoat it however Today, I think we should talk just a little bit about some of the hidden benefits that exist from being forced to do a hard reset on the business. And Kind of no one ever talks about this stuff. So, E, when you think in your mind about what it means for a startup to completely clear the decks, staff, office space, vendors, even investors, what makes you think, hey, this is actually kind of an opportunity? You
1: mean outside of just taking the ball and and moving in with your parents and going to the basement? (laughs) But, but, you know, I want to be measured in the approach here because when things happen that have a large impact on your business, that have kind of meaningful consequences, it is scary and it's okay to be scared. And I think it's appropriate to take a little bit of time and kind of feel that feeling and feel how scary it actually is. But then it's time to get back to work, right? Uh, Then it's time for the dust to settle. And the first step is typically kind of evaluating what is the new normal, right? In other words, what are the new rules to this game? And is there opportunity within those new rules for us to benefit as a startup? And I got to tell you, man, the, the first thing I think of, because it's near and dear to what we've gone through, unfortunately, several times, is team and how this can ultimately give you an opportunity to really dig into your
0: team. Yeah, and kind of clear the decks, like I said earlier, right? Like I mean, here's the thing. Let's not talk about it in terms of this hard reset being something we signed up for. I mean what we're talking about is this is a massive shit sandwich (laughs) that was handed to us. Right. And and while at the time it tastes horrible and it is, what we're saying is, you know, it's not always all bad. Because As we get into our startup and as we start to make all of these ad hoc decisions in creating processes and hiring people, signing vendor agreements, signing that office lease that maybe we shouldn't have signed and all of these other decisions, it's rare that we ever get the chance to do a do-over. Yeah, no doubt. On the other hand, it's pretty cathartic, right? I mean, think of how many times we've had to do it, not in like a hard shutdown, but in kind of a shed our skin kind of way.
1: Yeah. And it's pretty commonplace for startups to shed their skin, kind of all over the board. What typically happens at an early stage is you're not looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to join you on this epic journey. You're looking right. for Mr. or Mrs. Wright now. Absolutely, all too often, even co-founders. Yeah, absolutely, no, no doubt about it. So early on, I mean, I, I can even say for us, probably to our first million dollars in run rate, we made some leveraged hires, and those leveraged hires were effing toxic. Not only did they not perform tactically, but they also were really challenging to work with. Just bad players. And again, they were bad players. And we did what we thought was right at the time because we had other things to focus on. And I'm not going to say, look, I don't regret those decisions because it allowed us to kind of be more focused on North Star and growth. But there's a cost to kind of keeping all those leveraged hires or keeping those toxic folks around.
0: There is. And, you know, kind of what you dug into, I just want to unpack that part. We're making a lot of decisions really quickly. And obviously, personnel are, are a big part of that. In the early, early formative stages of our business, we're making a whole ton of decisions based on what might happen. See, it's just so different than in an established company. You know, if you're working in an established company, I'm going to even use what a newer established company, like a Google, for example. Google's been around forever at this point. If you hire an engineer, you kind of know what engineers do there. And if it doesn't work out, you got plenty of money to hire another engineer to do the same thing, right? At a startup, you don't have any of that. You have no idea if the job you're hiring for is even the right job. You know, I, I think we need an engineer to build this part of the product, but we don't even know for sure whether... This part of the product is going to sustain with the business. So, we're going to hire somebody sort of on spec, sort of based on only the resources we have, and kind of hope it works. And as you're saying, it kind of doesn't always work. If you think about it
1: pragmatically, to your point, you're talking about what you, you don't, you're speculating on what you need, right? You're speculating on right. what resources you need. So, not only do you have kind of that lens, but you also, have this resource challenge where you don't really have much to pay. I mean, we certainly didn't have much to pay. And I think entrepreneurs are generally pretty good at at selling the dream, so to speak. And I mean that in a positive way. But when you say, hey, I need somebody to lead sales, and guess what, I'm only gonna pay you commission, and I think we need a sales leader right now, (laughs) your, your options
0: shrink astronomically. And what's interesting to me about that is we don't think about that at the time, or more specifically, we rarely get an opportunity to take true stock of who all of those people are and all those decisions that we made and forcibly have to rethink all of them. So let's say the business gets hit really hard. You know, it's, it's 2020 when we're recording this. During COVID, a lot of businesses got hit hard. They've had to let go of a lot of people, unfortunately. However, the real catharsis here, the real question how many of those people would you hire back? If the answer out of 100 people you let go is eight, what does that say about the rest of the team, right? And I would charge you, because things might be emotional right now because you're going through that right now, give it a month, give it a year. Wait till you see with enough time in comparison how many of those were truly the best hires. As you can appreciate, it's rare, right?
1: You know, it's funny, I I think of a a sports analogy around we got two, three seasons out of these people, and would we sign them to an extension, right? Would we sign another contract? Now, it doesn't work like that in the real world, but that's the reality. We got to see these people in their spots interacting with the team. And I got to tell you, in a lot of cases, again, we're just moving so quickly, and the, the cost to downsize in good times, and the focus to downsize in good times is a bit of a challenge, But there are a lot of spots where we've got relics on the bench, so to speak.
0: We've also got relics in what the position even is, right? So, for example, when we were five people in a room, anyone in the room that had taken an accounting course in college was our CFO. (laughs) (laughs) That was the requirement for the job at the time, right? Or you're the one person that can write code, so you're the CTO, right? You've got these minuscule job requirements to get what are essentially massive jobs, not the least of which, by the way, is the CEO oh, you had the idea, you must be qualified to, be, to run a company, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's silly, but that's how it starts. But that said, those requirements, like those job descriptions have probably changed dramatically since we hired that person. In which case, Jeff, who is our CFO, because he was the one person that took an accounting class, could not possibly get a CFO job anywhere else, right? <sighs> Only at this company, because he happened to be sitting in the seat when that job was needed. If we were to go back, now maybe the organization's 50, 100 people, et cetera, no way in hell we'd ever hire him again. Oh, right? Jeff. Yeah, Poor Jeff, you know? Because the job outgrew Jeff, right? It happens all the time, especially in a fast-growing startup. So part of the benefit to that hard reset is saying, okay, you know, when that job comes up again, we're going to look at what the current version of the job is, not the historical version that somebody grandfathered themselves into. The other side of it is, when we do a hard reset, again, we're still talking about people right now. Part of what we get with the hard reset are just fresh legs in the game, mm-hmm. right? I mean, part of that is just, look, the the first team that went in when it was just an idea and we were all working at the kitchen table and we didn't even have an office and we were just trying to like sing for our supper, they're tired, right? I mean, they, you know, they're in their stripes, but they're tired. And maybe they weren't ready to go a few more quarters if we're sticking with our sports analogies. And with that, the hard reset allows us to bring in fresh legs with a fresh perspective. You know,
1: I gotta say, we've got hundreds of people, and as the COO, I have the bad fortune, and oftentimes, of kind of leading the downsizing efforts. And one thing I wrestle with, and I'll be honest, as a COO, is even if that person is wrong, right? Even if the position outgrew them, because they were in the room early and took the risk and took the ride with us, I always feel like we owe him something. And I know that's a wrong way to think, but it's like, you know, I have to fight that cognitive bias a little bit and and try to stay enormously pragmatic, but it's not easy because to your point, when you're around the kitchen table, you're thinking, shit, who who was it? Jeff, Uh, you know, Jeff was cranking at the beginning of this thing. He took a risk. He left his job and now the position's outgrown him or he's a bad player.
0: I feel like this is a, it's really, really tough. It is. And you're torn between, especially if, if you're the founder and were one of the free people that believed in you to begin with, you're torn between this emotion of, I really owe this person because you know they did me a solid, so to speak, by coming on and helping drive this thing. But at the same time, I've got all these other new people and they don't have any backstory with Jeff, right? And they're just like, man, this guy is way underqualified. He's way out of his depth, right? What is he doing here? And so you know, what is my commitment to all of these other people? If I'm holding on to somebody that's only there because I feel bad about it. You know what I mean? It's it's a complicated emotion.
1: It really is. Because again, and I agree, you're doing a disservice to new folks. And in my mind, wrongfully, you're still, you know, being loyal to Jeff because he was there, right? So, so I, I agree. It's, it's, it's a challenging conundrum until these moments happen and you have a time to go back and say, would I have resigned these people? Should I resign these people to some degree? Oftentimes, you know exactly who they are. And it's like a messy room in the house. And you're like, I can't get to that right now, right? <laughs> That's
0: a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, I get
1: it. And I hate to, you know, by no means diminishing somebody's value and calling them a messy room. But I think the analogy plays a little bit here. But when you can get to it, I do want to talk about the other side of this. Well, we've never regretted it. We've never regretted, and I say that honestly, I know it sounds hyperbolic, but when we've known that there was a a challenging team member and we've moved that person along, whether it was circumstance-driven or whether it was a reaction to something they did, we've never looked back and said, that was a shitty decision.
0: Yeah, or said differently, we never looked back and say, hey, let's hire them back, which is kind of the same thing, right? Oh, exactly. We're looking at it and we're saying, if it was such a bad decision, then we wish we could have them back. And here's the thing this I think this is worth noting. A lot of these people are our friends, right? Folks listening don't necessarily know this, but a lot of the folks we're talking to are still people we do barbecues with, right? So the, these aren't necessarily people we're like, these are bad people. We're just saying these wound up being bad fits for the business at that time or at that juncture. And it happens. Like there's no way around it. The thing is, when we get into this hard reset moment, where we have to scale back, where we have to, you know, like let a lot of people go, the point is, a lot of these issues get solved for us. You know, it's 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 hard. I mean, again, it feels shitty at the time, but we get to this point where all of a sudden we're like, look, I've got to clear the decks no matter what. So I've got to rec- you know recognize that some number of these folks I might want to hire back, but most of them I won't. Which really has you guessing, were those people supposed to be there to begin with? Now that I get a do-over, what does that do-over look like? And what does that staff look like?
1: It's true. I can honestly say we have gone through it as a business. You and I almost talk about it. We'll name that person and say, do you remember that vintage? Or do you remember that team? Right. And it continues to roll over and roll over and roll over. And we do have a lot of the same core staff. If somebody's kicking butt, they're staying. Sure. Sure. But to your point earlier, the spotlight shines on it when all of a sudden revenue doesn't cover
0: OPEX. Right, and and at some point, you know, even if you're looking at having to go through one of these hard reset moments and you're thinking, oh man, this is gonna suck to let go of all these people. Again, it does, but there is a silver lining to this. And the silver lining is, it's probably the only time, maybe knock on wood, that you'll ever get the chance to hit the Control-Z undo moment for all of those shitty hires that you made. It's also an opportunity, and I think you touched on this, I like this, to reset the culture. And let's face it, it, at which point we're heading to the hard reset, which means things aren't going well, there really isn't much of a use case for great culture and a company like heading to its doom at the same time. <laughs> These no These things doubt. Kind, you know, kind of tend to go hand in hand. And by, by, by the time we're about to do the hard reset, there's a lot of consternation in the company. And I think it's worth touching on this. How hard is it to undo all of that political bullshit and consternation and negativity? Like how long does that take to do it slowly by slowly, person by person? Maybe forever?
1: I think last time it took us 14 days. (laughs) and and For me, a lot of bourbon. But yeah, it's outside of these catastrophic moments that we're talking about, you know, COVID or some, again, macro event. It's constant, right? Because no matter who you hire you're getting to know them for the first time, so to speak. So you're going to continue, to, in other words, you're going to continue to make bad hires. I hate to say bad hires. You're going to continue to bring on the wrong people, but you have a responsibility to the organization to continue to shed that skin and bring on the right
0: people. Right. I think if, if I'm a founder faced with this situation, I have to be looking past the actual event, you know, the layoffs or the restructuring or whatever I'm about to do, And I have to start thinking about the other side of this discussion, about what this landscape looks like, you know, post-apocalyptic event, because I have to start taking inventory of all the stuff that wasn't working, again, culturally, organizationally, staff-wise, OPEX, whatever, and say, now that we know what we know now, how do we build a whole new org that's completely different? you know, and be able to kind of shed and reset instead of just being 100% focused on the fact that we're gonna have to, you know, let go of a bunch of people and go through a tough time. I think seeing the other side of it matters. And I'll give you an example, because again, we're in 2020 when we record this. Airbnb, when COVID hit, my numbers might be off here. I didn't research this. I'm thinking off the top of my head. I wanna say they let go of 7,000 people. And now, no, obviously, when COVID hit, their business came to a standstill, so understood. But also remember, they were planning on going public at that moment, right? I mean, it was, it was such a, a 180 from where their momentum was. And now they're, uh, as it stands right now, it's uh, mid-November of 2020. Uh, they're in queue to go public again. Think about what's going through that CEO's mind, in the team's mind, knowing they're heading into full apocalypse for their, for their business and no idea when they're going to come out of it. Thinking to themselves, we still have a great business. We still have a great idea. Maybe this is a good time to kind of recast who the staff is, what initiatives we were working on. You know, maybe as, as awful as all of this sounds, there is an opportunity here to build the V2 of our business with the hindsight of everything we just learned. Because short of that event, how the hell would they have been able to reset 7,000 people? It would have never happened.
1: Right. And I commend, you know, Brian Chesky for Helping get them through that it, it be, again because they were they were uniquely positioned in the wrong way for COVID. I mean, they and we work right. It's just a, a right. catastrophic problem. And I give him credit that he's been able, and I'm sure his team has been able to too effectively downsize and lead back out of this and and go back after this the IPO opportunity. So again, we talked about it earlier. It can be an incredible reset, but I want to stay with the reset too you're oftentimes, if you're lucky, and I'll use Airbnb, you're oftentimes resetting on second base. Correct. You know, Airbnb had a proven model, right? The world changed for a period of time, but they had product market fit. And that shit takes forever to nail, right? Correct. So Correct. these companies that are, you know, our, so we're certainly not as big as Airbnb that are our size. We know what products work. We know where the product market fit typically is. So we get to reset beyond, you know, the term second base, we get to reset already knowing that, right? Which makes it so tantalizing and so exciting.
0: Well, let's talk about all the other decisions, you know, aside from staffing that we get to reset because actually, once again, in in COVID 2020, I'm watching a lot of this happen. For example, how many people with the COVID reset got to unwind from their office leases, ourselves included? We did. right. (laughs) I was talking to a founder last week, and he said that he had a, uh, an office space that he was spending $150,000 a month for that he was able to just walk away from. And and he owns the business, so it wasn't a funded company, meaning that's his money. And and all I could think to myself is, just because of a change of circumstance, a hard reset, you all of a sudden w- were forced to get rid of $150,000 a month liability that prior to the hard reset, was just part of your OPEX. In fact, they had done millions of dollars of TI tenant improvement to their office space. They were getting more invested in this space because up until then, the expectation was that you had to have it. Now, all of a sudden, hard reset comes and he gets to unwind $150,000 a month and put that into his pocket. Think of how powerful that hard reset's gonna be for the rest of his business.
1: It's a big deal. And might I remind you that we were looking to buy a $7 million office building? (laughs) <laughs> you realize that, right? Months, yes. months. I mean, yeah. probably 40 days before this happened. Yeah. I mean, we were getting to the goal line. Going back to the hard reset, we go from looking at buying this and then maintaining additional office. You know, we, we were all in on office for some odd reason. And then, kind of post COVID, when we unwind our lease, we realized that folks probably still want to get out of the house, right? And they still want to go to an office. So we effectively stipend everybody in the country and said, if you guys want to go to a co-working space, we'll cover it, okay? Again, this is a horrible proof point of how bloated our office expense was. We had, count them, three people. Three people. Using the co-working space. And we were about to spend $7 million effectively <laughs> to accommodate those three people.
0: I mean, come on, man. But it's fascinating to me because... Given current momentum, and I want to zoom in on this for a second, given current momentum, we always think that the decisions we're making and the timing of those decisions make sense. At no point with given the momentum of hey, companies growing more office space, you know, big is good, would we have ever stopped and said, Hey, what about the opposite? What about no office space? And we just send everybody home for good. Right. It would never occur to us right. to say that, right? And hell, we're recording an episode on this. So it's it's not like we don't think about this stuff. And so this hard reset that is COVID is forced upon us. And at first, it was a bit heartbreaking. You know, I remember like moving out of our office and we'd been there almost 10 years and thinking, man, you know, what a moment in time. And I was sad about it. And I haven't thought about it since. <laughs> I mean, realistically, it's hard to believe how strange and cathartic an external event can be. And there was nothing bad about it, we just, well, it's bad for our landlord, but we just don't have that expense anymore, right? And there's no point where you and I are looking at each other saying, wow, I really missed that rent payment, right? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable.
1: It feels like 20 years ago. I don't know if you, got, you saw this on Slack the other day. But one of our uh, team members had to go to the office to pick up some random mail that got there and posted a recording on our Slack of the office, which, you know, looks pretty much the same. And we sold off a lot of our furniture there. And all I could think was, not only do I not miss the OpEx,
0: wow, do I not miss that? Agreed. And so let's talk about how many past decisions that get to get put on the table. And this is, again, companies got to do a hard reset right? Um, Let's say the company is going from $5 million down to $1 million, right? For whatever reason. And you're like, man, we have to rethink everything. Think of how many shitty contracts we signed because at the time, it absolutely made sense. Oh my God, we're going to grow so much. So we have to set up this virtual phone system. Or oh my God, we're going to have so much payroll. So we have to be on this overpriced payroll system. Like You name it, right? When we bought a whole bunch of other startups when we were going through the M&A process in the early days of startups.com, I got to see all of these decisions firsthand. And we were talking mostly to funded companies. So here's what it looked like. We've got this great idea. We just took on a ton of funding from a bunch of venture firms. And what do big, growing, aspiring companies do? They sign all of these big-name contracts with payroll providers and SaaS providers and office space and everything else like that because that's what big companies do. Except they didn't become that big company, right? They, they bought the big boy clothes, but they never became the big boy. But they still have all those liabilities. When we came in and bought those companies, that, that was the hard reset, we were like, you know, pardon my French, fuck this. Like, these are all... <laughs> None of this stuff makes sense. And so we had the benefit of just shredding all of those expenses and cutting up all of those old agreements to restart the business, which lo and behold became wildly pro- profitable without the, the the downside of those legacy decisions. And the only difference was we weren't liable for the legacy decisions. So we could make those decisions. I remember distinctly a
1: $5,000 monthly Uber line item for one yep. of the companies we acquired. And yep. I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> now, again, we appropriately downsized a lot of that cost. But on the other side, and you said it before, there's this bizarre psychology around if we're growing, we should do this. I mean, it was it was us to a degree. We're like, we're big enough now that we need this really luxe, sweet office. Right. But we didn't. We didn't need that. And as companies get an opportunity to kind of... Here's one thing that you, me, and Ryan often say... <laughs> probably miscategorize this industry as the bad guys but we say what would a private equity th- company think or a potential acquirer think if they looked at what we're working on right now yeah, we'd, we'd get fired every week but we say <laughs> it like it, <laughs> it's an you know important the exercise terms. right it's an important exercise but you know and it gives you an opportunity to kind of look at the P&L at a granular level and understand what did you buy on spec what did you buy on ego in what's
0: actually returning. Correct. And look, we had the benefit when we buy a company, again, these are a lot of venture-funded companies, we bought six companies, where we would just go through the P&L, go through the, the income statement and say, look, we're just gonna start with everything being at zero and we're gonna work backward to see what we absolutely need now in our case, it was a little bit different because we had a lot of duplicative expenses, you know? And so maybe they were paying something in hosting that we were paying the same in hosting so we could combine those, exp- those expenses or obviously a lot of overlap in people and services and things like that. But by and large, what we generally found in almost every single deal we looked at, even the ones we didn't buy, were the $5,000 Uber expenses. We were scratching your head going, this isn't necessary at all, right? I mean, you just actually don't need it.
1: That's the ego spec acquisition. That's just pure action. I mean, that's, that's pure ego. Spec is a little
0: different. Sure. But here's where it gets really interesting to me. There are all these businesses, and sometimes they're the businesses that, that we're running, the folks that are listening, that we're running right now, that could be a wildly efficient business. It could be a profitable business. It could have unlimited runway by way of profitability. If it were just reset, if you just started over and said, you know, this building, this building, the business is making two to $3 million a year. It's not all the money in the world. But realistically, we shouldn't be losing money. We should be making money on that revenue. We're just sitting with an infrastructure and with intention that was made for a $10 million company. If we knew the business was never going to be more than $3 million by this point, we wouldn't have made half the decisions that are sitting here. And how powerful is that reset? You know what I mean?
1: Again, having gone through it and us examining companies kind of on the other side, it's one of the few incredibly unique opportunities that come out of events like this.
0: It's not just costs. It's also revenue as well. When I was running an agency and, uh, and we were doing okay, like the, you know, the agency itself, I think, it was doing maybe $8 million of revenue, which, which was okay. Nothing wrong with that. But we ended up winning a big client, Eli Lilly, and and they gave us $250 million worth of business. And, and it had us do a different type of reset where we got to go back to all the clients that we we're currently servicing and say, do they still make sense for us? Do you know almost none of them did? Now, it's not just because Lily was such a big piece of business. It's because we didn't enjoy working for a lot of our clients, right? Some of it was just, Dumb work, you know, just work we didn't enjoy. Some we're obnoxious clients, it happens. But we realized that we were forced to go through this kind of like look back that we would have never done if we were still that $8 million business and say, what customers do we really want to have? I think the same goes when you're doing a hard reset in the business. When you're going from say 10 million to 2 million, you start to say, "What are some products that we probably were never going to make money on? We were just servicing because we had revenue at the time, or we were just trying to keep this business unit happy, or we were just trying to like you know satisfy this investor demand." And now that we don't have to do any of that, what do our customers and our products look like? I think that's a hard reset.
1: I like that a lot, Will. That's very very insightful. I like the concept that if you're thoughtful and you're in this situation that you can build a a more nimble business where you're not consistently feeding the beast because what happens is you kind of take your your hands off the wheel and to some degree and you keep hiring folks and you keep racking up these expenses and then you got to figure out a way to pay for all oftentimes all this bloat and it's just a vicious cycle right so you keep some of those products that are (laughs) more work than good. You keep some of those clients that are enormously challenging because you're over your toes and you have to keep feeding this beast. But in this case, what we're saying is when you lean down, you can start to make some different decisions.
0: I think what it does is it gives you some cover and some support to actually make those decisions. So for example, I hate to use the COVID example because COVID sucks, it's terrible. But COVID gave Airbnb the support it needed to let go of 7,000 people. Now, I don't think for a second Brian Chesky woke up and went, oh, God, I'm so glad COVID took care of that problem for me. I'm sure that's not that what was going down. However, sometimes, you know, a crappy event can still provide a universal understanding for why some of these hard decisions need to get made. I go back to my buddy with a $150,000 a month office, Alice. There's no version where he's saying to himself, wow, I hope COVID comes along and allows us to get rid of our office space. Or had COVID not come along, if he just said one day, hey, by the way, we're no longer gonna have an office space. Everybody go home. That would have been like death to his business from a a reputation and social capital standpoint. But sometimes these hard events, and I I hate to use COVID because that's just such a globally horrible event. Sometimes these hard events give us the cover that we need to make a reset that really we probably needed to make all along. And it gives us kind of a a fresh set of downs to restart the business with an entirely new cover.
1: Agree, and I also agree that COVID as a catalyst for a reset is awful. But what you're really saying is it's a Trojan horse. Let's not use COVID, let's pretend it was something else. But you do need that Trojan horse to come in in certain situations to be able to make those decisions Big enough, decisively enough, and quickly enough without kind of disrupting the status quo, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that, like, you know, in some cases, you know, take COVID off the table, like you're saying, sometimes you just lose a big client, right? It, it's that simple. You know, when we won the big Eli Lilly client at the agency, we always, you know, had our Ragnarok moment where we were afraid that you know, they were going to call and it was, it was going to be the end of Asgard. And so, uh, that happens. It happens all the time. You know, big clients get lost or an investor pulls out or there's some cataclysmic event that runs beyond your control in some way, but it forces a massive decision. And I think when we talk to founders about going through those moments, it's really important that we coach them to think beyond this problem. Because at the time, you're so consumed by it. All you can think about is letting people go and the hardships and what's going to happen next, et cetera. And again, it's all awful. But if you're really a ninja about this, you start to say, yes, 100%, this is all awful. But my job as the founder, CEO, leadership of the company is to step beyond that and say, what does version two look like? What are all the efficiencies and opportunities this is about to create? And how can we focus on that as the end game, not just letting people go?
2: That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And We hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later.